This is Professor Allen, and welcome to the Quarter Bin. In every episode of this podcast, I will summarize, criticize, discuss, and review a single issue from my comic book collection, which I will more or less select at random, sometimes with the help of a guest. Any book from my comic book collection is eligible, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for it. Was the issue worth 25 cents? Was it a bargain at 25 cents? Or was it still overpriced? Stay tuned and find out. For this 172nd episode of the Quarterbin Podcast, we are looking at Power Man and Iron Fist, 87, from Marvel Comics, cover dated November 1982. But first, a little feedback. We heard from the irascible Shag recently, who wrote in on a bunch of books we've covered on a number of podcasts here on the network recently, and this seemed like a good place to go over those comments. Hi, Professor Allen. You're hot. Oh, wait, sorry. He actually didn't say that. I just always assume that's how Shag starts his conversations. Anyway, Shag says, excellent coverage of impact on your recent quarter bin and comics reading journal episodes. I had no idea it was originally intended as a newsstand imprint. Fascinating. Thoroughly enjoyed your discussion, and it sparked many memories. I adored the Impact Comics line upon launch. I collected all the titles for the first six months or so, and then began to drift away from the less interesting ones. Similar to your comments, the titles that held my interest were Comet, Fly, and Jaguar. I agree with your assessment that Webb and Legend of the Shield failed to sustain continued interest. During the summer of 1991, I had the opportunity to meet Mark Wade at a convention. Comet was one of his earliest writing credits for DC, after having been an editor for quite a while, and I got him to sign the current issue, which was then number two. I spent some time praising his work as an editor, and had him autograph some comics he edited. I specifically remember him joking with me, no one ever asked the editor to sign a comic. He was delightful. Over on the Fire and Water Podcast Network, we'll be covering the who's who in the Impact Universe issues in the coming months. Hashtag never miss a plug. I wasn't sure how to approach those issues, but your coverage has jump-started me to begin a reread of the early issues of each title. Thanks for the inspiration. Glad to help, Shag. Always glad to help. Finally, you mentioned potentially returning characters from this line. Exciting news is that comic writer and friend to our podcast community, David Gallagher, will be writing The Shield coming up. Thanks again for wonderful episodes and for jogging the memory. As always, Looking forward to further episodes of the Irremovable Shag, the Fire and Water Podcast Network. On last episode in particular, Six from Sirius, the wrap-up of the space opera, we heard from Dr. Ange. Usually I like the mensch Galacy team, but this one sounds like it might not be one of their best. Does Slash Maraud exist in the Quarterbin database? Well, 
this was certainly not the best Mensch Galassi, especially if space opera or sci-fi is not your favorite genre. And no, Ange, sadly, Slash Maraud only exists in my distant memories of DC house ads. But sadly, not in the quarter bin database. At least, not yet. And we heard from Sir, Sir Martin of Grey. Well, at least the conclusion sounds more interesting than the first two. Mind, it sounds like they should have called it Phaedra and the Five Spirit Elders, with all the play they seem to have had. That is a fair point, Martin. The six from Sirius did seem to be the supporting cast, didn't they? So, Spanner's Galaxy. Well, it's funny you should mention that, Martin. Not Spanner's Galaxy in particular, mind you, but the general topic of sci-fi comics. This more specifically relates to the comics reading journal, but I will mention it here. And that is that, over the last few years, a handful of us have been celebrating a range of comics genres based on certain months of the year. It started with the obvious ones. Horror comics in October, of course. Romance in February. Luke Giaconetti was a driving force behind making November the month to read war comics. So that month contains uh, Veterans Day or Remembrance Day. Recently in July, which contains the National Day of the Cowboy, a lot of us read a lot of Westerns. Well, about a dozen of us got together online and sort of hammered out the months for many of the other comics genres as well based on, you know, national days and important birthdays, that sort of thing. And January contains National Science Fiction Day, chosen because it also contains Isaac Asimov's birthday. So in that month, I plan to read a lot of science fiction comics and talk about them on the Reading Journal. And if my memory holds until then, I'll make sure and read and talk about Spanner's Galaxy. Maybe even six from Sirius 2. You never know. The Sutherlands reported that they were looking forward to the episode. We remember reading this long ago. And then a week or so later, our reigning listeners of the year reported in with their findings. Hi, Professor Allen. We spent some time in the Quarterbin today. Well, in the Quarterbin podcast. Which is even better than the Quarterbin? Well, I wouldn't go that far, guys. The podcast is fine. But cheap comics? One of the greatest gifts on Earth. As I'm writing this, I find it funny that the autofill feature on my phone knows me well enough that as soon as I type the letter Q, Quarterbin fills in. <laughs> as opposed to all those other words I usually type that start with a Q. Hmm. Maybe that isn't so surprising after all. I remember you telling us earlier about the amazing price you paid for these issues of Six from Sirius, but hearing it again is unbelievable. Seven cents per issue? If you weren't so honest, I would doubt your story. Well, now that I think about your honesty, maybe I should still doubt your story. Darren, Ruth, if I've told you once, I've told you many times, stop hanging out with Stella. Hashtag she Lies. Uh, Darren continues saying that he has fond memories of the series. Though I 
didn't remember the specifics until you started your summary and review. I really appreciated hearing how your opinion changed over the four issues and the two episodes as you read them. It was nice to hear your genuine surprise at the direction the story took and how it improved as the story developed. You provided some nice information defining space opera for those who aren't familiar with the genre, and I particularly enjoyed your description of the art and layouts and the original plans for the series and how that changed over time and probably impacted the presentation of the story. You also enjoyed the great background information on Paul Gulacy. Some I knew, and some I didn't, and it was all very interesting. And we love the call-outs to some of our favorite sci-fi shows, including Babylon 5, Farscape, Firefly, and Star Trek. Also, it was a treat to hear the promo for the excellent Trekker audio drama from Gene Hendricks and the team. They did a truly fantastic job. Of course... I think the best performances in the audio series were probably the goons in episodes one and two. They really helped get the series off to a great start. <laughs> totally agreed, Darren. I, I noticed that. They were a very rad couple of goons, it seemed to me. Thanks for these terrific episodes. Until next time, we'll be listening. Darren. Thank you, Darren. Appreciate that as always. And Jason. From Hawaii, retweeted the episode, saying that in this episode, I get serious. And thank you so much for making that joke, Jason. Seriously, nobody knows how hard it was for me to go through two full episodes and not use the word serious or seriously myself. Thank you for doing so. Truly appreciate it. I also wanted to give a shout-out to Billy D for Magazines and Monsters and Into the Weird. On Twitter, Chris Buse from Comic Crusaders said that he was going to spend a Sunday afternoon working his way through Six from Sirius, and Billy tagged me and reported that I had just covered it on the show, and that got me into some interesting twit-versations with folk like Blood of Kirby, Anthony Percanti, and Dynamite. Appreciate that support, Billy. Social media love for last episode came from Manuel from Buy Indie Comics Day, Crossfire Comic Book Collecting, Robert Ludwig, the most sane man among us, Clinton from the Days of High Adventure podcast, Chris Lydon, Paul the Book Guy, Chris from Professor Frenzy, it's a show, Drew from Comics for Fun and Profit, Gene Hendricks from The Hammer Strikes, Derek, Derek WC from the Fanholes, Joshua Imkin, Cullen Stapleton from the Worst Comics Podcast Ever, Vic in Phoenix, Karen from Between the Pages, and James from Karen. Thank you all for that continued support of our efforts here. It is time to take a little break for a promo, and when we come back, we'll be looking at Power Man and Iron Fist 87. He's the grand old man of Marvel. Stan Lee was involved in the creation of some of the world's favorite comics characters, like Spider-Man, Iron Man, Thor, and the Hulk. But he didn't create them on his own. 
Artists like Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko were also instrumental in the creation of these characters, but many fans of the Marvel movies don't even know their names. Did Stan take too much credit by design? Or was he just given the credit because he's more media friendly? Millions of words have been written about Lee, both to praise him and disparage him. What are the books about Lee that you should read? On Deconstructing Comics, we're going to screen the books about Lee so you don't have to. Join us, True Believer, as we read as many books about Stan Lee as we can stand, and compare them to each other. Find Deconstructing Comics in your favorite podcast app, Excelsior. And we're back. And by we, I don't just mean me and my collection of yellow button-down silk shirts. Because today, I'm joined by a member of the Relatively Geeky Roundtable. Faithful feedbacker, good friend, and an expert on all things design and font-related. Welcome back, sir, Sir Martin of Grey. Hello there, thanks for having me again, and thank you for picking me up. <laughs> I am the voice in your head. There is that, there is that. Well, it is always good to speak with you, Mark. And um, when we were talking about you coming back on to the podcast, you know, we had obviously some heavy-duty transatlantic uh, negotiations, and I gave you a number of issues to choose from, and I don't know, three or four choices, I think. And you picked Power Man and Iron Fist 87s. What was it that drew you to uh, this issue? Well, of the, of the, I can't remember at the moment what the other issues were, but this one stood out because I was reading the book at the time. Mm. And I was also reading Moonlight, who's a guest star on this issue. And it was just very interesting to see them in the same book. I won't call it a team up for reasons that we'll get right. to, but the, the cover is such a grabber that it just brought me straight back to, you know, where I was when I was reading the, reading the comic. And I just thought, I'd like to revisit this with Alan. I like Power Man, I like Iron Fist, and I like Moon Knight. So this is sort of a, sort of an easy choice. Yeah, when, when did you join the, the Power Man Iron Fist bandwagon? Were you with Power Man from the start? I mean, you're too young, probably. Uh, I... Well, I have the entire run of the team-up aspect, yeah. which, which I think is 58 or so through 125. Pretty and much, I, yep. Yeah, and I think I collected that as it was coming out. Uh, it's possible I subscribed. I subscribed to a handful of Marvel titles during that era. And I've gone back and added maybe 20 of the earlier issues in numbering when it was uh, Luke Cage, Power Man. And if I can find those early issues for cheap, which is pretty rare, and they are in beat up condition usually, but I still pick them up every now and then, but it's not a collection that I'm passionate that I have to fill in because it's still probably 30 some missing issues of those early power mans. It's just a matter of if I can find something for a dollar or so, it's worth, it's worth picking up. Gotcha. We, we never really saw Power Man very much in the UK when I was growing up in the early years. Marvel UK, was coming out with their weekly reprints and they were getting through the American comics so quickly that they only allowed a few of the American comics, the colour comics, which they had a banner on the front saying all colour, to come mm. through. And they must have been eyeing up Power Man at some point because I never I never saw Power Man's comic around, but we did get to see Iron Fist, mm. who joined the joined Avengers Weekly 
And although it was in black and white, the art was so striking. I think it was originally Gil Kane, probably, then John Byrne, or no doubt somebody in between. But I really liked Iron, Iron Fist. And then in the late 70s, Marvel suddenly sort of stopped worrying about it and brought in pretty much the whole line on the, new, on the newspaper shops here. And Powerman's book came, I think, probably about around the time that Iron Fist joined. So I was mm-hmm. able to jump on and really, really began enjoying the team up. And look at the creators they had. It was a good title, definitely. You know, I, th- I think for me, one of the gimmicks that I liked was that Heroes for Hire concept it kind of had a weird little business angle to it. And I've always been drawn to that. Um, I was talking with Luke Giaconetti somewhere along the line and said that one of the things I like about Iron Man was the three or four pages of business that Stark Enterprises would, oh, Mrs. Go, oh God. would yes. be given. Yeah, they'd be given every couple of issues, it seemed like. But um, so again, it's that it's sort of that business entrepreneurial aspect to it that certainly is one of the more unique I think, uh, uh, although obvious, I think comic book gimmicks. It was a good one, though. And I, and I think we're coming at it from similar but different directions. Because for me, the big thing was the mix of the personalities with, you know, yeah. Mr. Streetwise, Luke Cage, and then Danny, who was a bit more esoteric. And what was it? Mm-hmm. Luke called Danny Ballet Bridges, which I always liked. Which <laughs> <laughs> so is the mix of the personalities and the fact it was a brilliant blend of superheroics and humor, humor which yeah. was great. And, and between them, two pretty amazing costumes. Oh, absolutely. I don't, honestly, I don't know why they changed them. I mean, okay, Luke's is very outdated with the tiara, but it's classic. Yeah. If you just kept wearing it, people would never have not got used to it. You know? mm-hmm. And Iron Fist, they keep changing, they keep tweaking it. And at one point, I don't know, I think it's no longer that colour, but they made it this really murky brown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. it's perfect the, the, the green the yellow the tattoo the chest the, the mask with the spider-man eyes it's superb and and both of these gentlemen are not afraid to show off their uh, pectoral areas they are if not have... afraid they are not afraid to show off their chests it seems like uh luke cage has similar problems getting his 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 shirt ripped off of him that say you know power girl does in in, in some <laughs> iterations yeah, no, very, very impressive chesticles. <laughs> so uh, since you have this physical issue in, in your collection, is that what you're reading from? Are you reading from a digital or a Marvel Unlimited? I'm, I'm reading the digital because the physical copy is back down at my dad's house in England. Ah, uh, yes. And I'll see that again when I inherit. <laughs> <laughs> so, this, this is quite handy, so I'm, I'm reading it on Marv, Marvel Unlimited on, on, on the old iPad, <laughs> which is very, very handy. Didn't have yeah. the beautiful bell, sadly. <laughs> How about you? We were uh, lucky enough to, uh, M and I recently did one of the big uh, every three or four year comics merging and purging and organizing and redirecting. And so I had all the boxes open and it's not that many. I only have probably 3000 comics or something. So it's not a huge, not a huge number. And so it was pretty easy just to grab, grab the original version. Oh, good stuff. So old school, as they say. Yeah. Is, is that um, these days how you're doing 
a majority of your reading uh, digitally, or how's that broken up? Are you still do you buy individual issues, you know, either I, new or I, old, or digitals or trades? Or I tell I, I buy old ones occasionally online, like on on eBay and things. Mm -hmm. I'll, if I see a, a good price, super spectacular, hundred page super spectacular that I haven't had previously, of or an issue that was missing from a store that I because of the spotty distribution, mm, I get that sure. and I spend spend maybe up to a five or something on it, or maybe twelve pounds for a super oh. spectacular. I know, but generally I'm very happy to buy online because they were just taking up so much room. So when I, when I moved from a few miles down the road a couple of years ago, I uh, just decided to start. I couldn't be bothered to sort them out, and Steve and my partner <laughs> were be too delighted. Had a you know started filling the brand new house with 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 comics as it is. I've ended up filling it with loads of heavy omnibuses and books and things. But just just decided to randomly sort. of, Put, put them in, in big carrier bags, plastic bags, and start taking them to local, the local cancer charity shop. Yeah. And what's really nice, uh, every six months, they tell you how much, you know, if you, if you sign on to the, I don't know whether you have something similar in America, but if you donate to charity shops, you can sign a thing. And the money that they, 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 they get for your goods, they can claim back 25% more from the government, called gift, so it's called gift aid. Oh, and it's just nice. nice seeing it build up. Yeah. So I give them, you know, Probably a few thousand, because like I say, most of my comic books are down in the UK and in England. But the ones that were in Scotland, I gave mostly to the comic, the charity shop. And within within six months, I got a nice email from them saying, you know, you know, well, you know, so far we've got fourteen fourteen hundred pounds worth back from your comics and things. Wow. And so every every six months, there's you know a few a few more hundred. And I had a, I had a couple of uh, rare titles. Like, do you remember the DC Elseworlds eighty page giant with Super Baby in the microwave? <laughs> Okay. Do you know the story on that one? I don't think so. No, DC brought out an Elseworlds giant, and it was full of you know bizarre type stories, you know, very like light-hearted things. But one of them was about a five-page one called something like I don't know, Laurie Law set a Superboy, Super Baby's Babysitter or something. And it was just obviously really, really light-hearted. And in one in one panel, she puts him in the microwave, or he climbs in the microwave, and of course he's fine, but. At the last minute, DC got cold feet and yeah. it had been published. The entire one was pulped in the, in the US, but the copies that had been printed in central Canada to the UK and I think Europe were still out there. So when I when I donated to the charity shop a couple of years ago, it was worth about 80 quid then or something like that. So it's mm -hmm. just, just nice to be able to give, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. Well, let's get to this one. And... Power Man and Iron Fist 87 had a cover price of 60 cents, meaning that when I saw this in a quarter bin, that represented a reasonable enough 58% eh, markdown. Now, the cover by Dennis Cowan shows Luke and Danny reaching down to save a drowning man dressed all in white and scrawled across the cover, we read, but they may be too late for Moon Knight. I think we already spoiled how we feel about this cover, but how do you feel about this cover? <laughs> I love it. I, I love the unusual combination of pink, a pink background mm -hmm. and green behind that absolutely brilliant logo. And I like, I like the way the green picks up Danny's green costume green. But the, 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 the illustration itself by Dennis Cowan is excellent. I mean, you've got, you got Moonlight in it, struggling to get out of the water tower in the, in the foreground, Danny and Luke, Looking, to, look, you know, looking panicky as if they can't help him because they may be too late. And that writing on the wall, which looks like candle wax, perhaps. Mm -hmm. but, but the uh, 
the, the inking and the shading on the cover is all Dennis Cowan, where he's inside his ink by Carl Potts, who's mm -hmm. a very good inker. But the story inside is very, very much a sunny day story. Whereas because that's not been set up on the cover, you can have a bit of, you know, lots of black and drama. And the contrast of the black with the pink and the white and the, the green, I think it's just absolutely pops. You know, when, when you start talking about those background colors, I didn't even notice that, at least in, in the original version, sometimes the coloring is a little bit different, but the, the Marvel Comics group across the top is in, is in white against a, a dark purple background, which again is a color I'm just not used to seeing, I don't think. I can't remember another instance offhand. Yeah, but it works, like you said, it works. And it's, it's one of those things that uh, I don't know why it works. I thank you for explaining a lot of that, uh, those, those uh, uh, color aspects. I just look at it and say, that's pretty good. <laughs> that's about all I can tell. I, that's valid. I, I do like that writing on the cover, that scrawl. It reminds me of classic Iron Man cover. I looked it up, issue 182, with a drunk Tony huddled in the snow and sort of written on the wall behind him. It says, in the morning. Tony Stark will be sober or dead. I, I, I just like that effect, sort of scrawling the words on a physical aspect that's represented in the cover. Yeah, well, other, other books that used to, Iron Man did that quite a lot around mm -hmm. that time. Mm -hmm. uh, then in, in a, few year, a few years later at DC, I think it was, or it might have been a few years before, Captain Atom had a lot of those covers and oh, okay. also Batman. And the link there is obviously Denny O'Neill wrote mm -hmm. this issue. Right, DC ones. I think he was writing Iron Man, I think. And he really does like this, you know, the, the portentous cover lines. And sometimes they work very well like this. At Batman, when they were doing it pretty much every issue, it got a bit much. Right, but right. It probably works better when it's used more rarely. I think you're right, yeah. yeah. Well, the story, Heat Wave, was written, as we said, by Denny O'Neill, with art by Dennis Cowan and Carl Potts. And we start with Moon Knight dropping out of his Moonocopter, speaking to Frenchie, his aide and helicopter pilot. During the summer heat wave, Moon Knight has been out trying to get a lead on Commodore Planet and his terrorist organization, not to be confused with Captain Planet, I hope. Uh, he finds one of the members named Al Jordan, not Hal Jordan, <laughs> Al Jordan, just as he is about to run off with his wife, Moon Knight, Chases him to the rooftops. However, Jordan knows this turf and comes at Moon Knight with a stashed crowbar. And the fight ends with the two men falling into an empty water tower. Jordan breaks his neck. He is dead. Moon Knight is alive, but left with no way to get out. He spends the next day suffering in the intense heat. An anonymous pair hire Power Man and Iron Fist to track down their colleague, Moon Knight. These are members of the Moon Knight supporting cast, Marlene and Frenchie. Moon Knight continues to fail to free himself, and the hired heroes save Moon Knight's informant, Crawley, from a pack of street toughs. Crawley informs them that Moon Knight was going to stake out a location at the Jersey Piers. So going there, the two end up rumbling with men who are in the employ of Commodore Planet, and they manage to break into the Commodore's sub. Iron Fist battles the Commodore himself and learns that he has also had rigorous training. 
the big man, the Commodore, focuses his own chi to make his body a powerful smothering force. But the teammates do manage to defeat him and turn him over to the authorities. And then we learn that a major rainstorm is a coming. Moon Knight, after narrating the possible deaths of all of his alter egos, believes he's found salvation when he finds a secret panel in the bottom of the water tower. But that was just a hiding place for the cash that Al Jordan had stashed away. The rain begins to fall, and Moon Knight is not holding out a lot of hope. Back at their office, Luke and Danny are visited by Al Jordan's wife, who wants to hire them to find her husband. They connect Jordan to the Commodore, learn that he has a secret stash hidden inside the water tower, and rush there. And they find Moon Knight, which would be the two cases solved with one stone. The plant which houses the water tower decides to fill it with water, which could drown our injured hero. When Power Man and Iron Fist arrive on the scene, they find the Commodore there. He's also looking for Jordan, but let's be honest, he's mostly looking for the missing money. Power Man handles the Commodore and Iron Fist rescues Moon Knight. He had used the bags of cash as flotation devices to save his life. Moon Knight is whisked away by Frenchie. The Heroes for Hire made a pretty decent paycheck on this one. It was a happy ending for everyone except Al Jordan's widow. The end. All right, Sir Martin, we like the cover. What do we think of the story? I had a story a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's I mean that that end that ending very very much bittersweet. I mean the, the poor the poor woman there. But I mean, it didn't strike me as I was reading it because you don't really realise until you've read the whole story. But this is very much when is a team up, not a team up because they never mm -hmm. actually. Right. Well, I like the fact that you you know you've got the setup of them being being hired. You've got Fen Trenchy and Marlene in there, and Edge's note in there telling you to go and read Moon Knight's book and it actually said how great the book is. Mm -hmm. So obviously, you know, the whole point is to promote the book. I th the yeah. book, I think, Moon Knight book, which was in the 20s at this point. And it's a good issue of Power and Iron Fist, but I think as an advert for Moon Knight's book, mm -hmm. it could have been better. I mean, it does showcase Jake's determination, right. but it doesn't really have the glorious weirdness, this, the particular vibe that writer Doug mentioned artist Bill Sinkovich gave Moon Knight. Yeah. I think a, a, a lot of that first run of Moon Knight really was the atmosphere that Sinkevich brought to it. And this, I mean, this is a, this is a dark story. I mean, it's a, it, it is a rough street level story, but you're right. It doesn't have the weirdness that early Moon Knight could have. Very true. But I say it's, it's a, a one-off comic. It's a, yeah, it's a yeah. crack and read. Right. I mean, you know, and then Dennis Coward, he wasn't a million miles away from being, I think, influenced by, probably influenced by Neil Adams, the way Bill Sinkovich was right. early on. But it doesn't really necessarily play to his strengths in being set so much doom in the daytime. When you're in the water tower, you can use the, use the darkness a little bit more. Right. I mean, contrast of Moon Knight in a silver costume, which obviously presents his white on the comic book page, against the black, the art really shines. Mm -hmm. But it's really, really nice read. I mean, it's 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 well plotted. I mean, there's a good 
a nice through line from beginning to end is the following the clues, meeting the characters. I mean, what did you think of Commodore Planet? <laughs> uh, I will say I did not remember that character when I was when I was reading this one. That is a that's a strange one. He's got this uh, naval sort of uh, uh, shtick to him. Uh, I don't remember much else about him, but he's a big guy and he can turn his body into sort of a solid mass. So that was a that was a surprise. Yeah, it was terribly random that he also has the the iron fist power as well. Yes. Interesting backstory there that we probably were never told. <laughs> but I, I really do like this version, this original take on on Moon Knight. To me, Moon Knight is basically Batman with additional secret identities. And I'm not embarrassed or ashamed to say that. I mean, he has a bat, I'm sorry, a moon copter. He does attempt to track, was it he was trying to get something off of the top of the water tower, a communication, something or another. So he used one of his moonerangs. I mean, they don't call them that, but you know, he has, he has batarangs. He's, you know, I mean, to me, as, as, as I describe him, he's a character who's not just Bruce Wayne, full-time but he's also matches malone and i guess i don't know i guess he's john sable too you know oh, he's, he, 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 he has these you know th four real sort of secret identities and i like that i'm not a fan of moon knight with multiple personality disorder i like him like this old school with multiple secret identities i'm with you yeah when he when he knows what he's doing i mean after after a couple of years after the year uh, this original run, I think, and the start leaning into the Egyptian aspect of the right. character, mm -hmm. you know, having the Egyptian god be real, which is fair enough in the Marvel universe. But I think they've tried about three or four different takes on Moon Knight since then, and none of them work as well as just the simple aspect of, as you say, him being Batman with extra identities. Mm -hmm. I mean, to me, I I love a Batman story when Matches Malone shows up. I mean, to me, that's like a highlight, you know, potentially. Yeah of a detective comics or a, uh, or a Batman story. So when you've got, and you know, they touched on them very briefly here, like you said, you know, as a way of, of pitching or selling, you know, the Moon Knight title <laughs> to readers here, you have a nice little, nice little page. He's sort of daydreaming or, or, well, he's facing his death and he's, you know, sort of, you see visually him, you know, the, the, his, his appearance change as he goes from, Moon Knight himself, to Mark Spector, to Jake Lockley or Stephen Grant. First off, that is just a kind of a quick way, nice way, like you said, of introducing this character to readers of the other book uh, as uh, uh, also having Frenchie and Marlene appear, having some of his you know, side characters show up uh, as well. Yeah, and the, the, the color, the coloring on there by Christy Siegel is just excellent the way it's mm -hmm. gone. The red, the red, and the red, and the black. What do you think of the art? It's you know, it's fine. You get both the the atmosphere of both the hot, sweaty, steamy first half or two thirds of the story, and then the windswept, rainy you know, last quarter or, or or third of the book. I like the, those elements of it. Yeah, I think towards the end it's getting better and better because at the start. You know, you have very skimpy backgrounds, and obviously, they never knew that we'd be reading them in guided view, where you can pop up and see that the faces are just mm -hmm. different. 
But then again, he has some wonderful sequences. Like that nine, that nine panel grid page when he's yeah. in, in the water tower, which is very strong. And some of the streetscapes is like Carmine Infantino type, just block streetscape shapes in the background, which are excellent. And there's a, did you spot that nice visual gag on page nine with, where Luke's leaning on a crate marked, do not lean? <laughs> I didn't. I yeah. did not see that. But, and things in the script are like I just love the fact that he's, you know, he's sweating and he's sweating and mentioning that Moose this is moonlight sweating, saying mm-hmm. I really have a summer weird costume. And they're the little details that you used to get in Marvel comics that you don't right. really get much now, like like Spider Man having a summer cold and you know, really mm-hmm. interacting with the environment. I miss that sort of thing. A lot of these, I think a lot of these panels, if we had this story today, well, I mean, there's the joke that, of course, it would be four issues to tell the story. But even even if we had this as a one-off, as a one-off story, a lot of these would be silent panels, which can be effective in terms of, of setting a mood and, and even telling a story. But you do miss a lot of those moments of characterization that having multiple bits of dialogue in every panel one of the purposes that's one of the purposes of dialogue is Indeed, to not I mean, just tell a story but to characterize yeah just make make the whole world richer the experience better mm-hmm. in fact if i like like the uh, i've forgotten what was the, what was the old chap called crowley i always forget him mm-hmm. yep and with the, the old chap on the street but i was thinking of you because do you remember when he asked for three dollars fifty for a tip and he wanted not not for the price of music but to get into an air-conditioned film theater <laughs> But as you, as a business expert, you'll know that air conditioning was probably the biggest reason the film going became a big habit with Americans, right. wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it was during the Great Depression, long before air conditioning units were common. That's where you could go to get away from it all, be in the cool, and maybe even see a good film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was really just a bonus, though, I think. For <laughs> I'll take it, though, because when you've got 22 pages to play with or something, any anything extra is just, I like, I like it there, you know? Mm-hmm. And I like having a complete story. So we say beginning, middle, and end. They solved a case. No, wait, they solved two cases. They did. <laughs> they solved the same case twice. And that, that to me, is solid business work. If you can get paid twice to do the same work, nothing wrong with that. If you were advising, you know, brought in to advise Danny and Luke, would you, would you have any particular business plans for them? Anything they could be doing better? Mm, yeah, I'm not sure what their marketing is, what their uh, advertising is. I'm not sure if we wanted to, it would include, you know, them with their shirts off, if that would be positive marketing or negative marketing. I'm not, I'm not sure, but uh, I think that is, that's one of the, one of the shticks is that, you know, they do, they, they're the Rockford files with some superpowers thrown in, you know, they're, doing the best they can to make a decent living. They are, they are, they are. <laughs> Them and their pal, what was their pal, D.W. Griffiths, the young guy who was the film student. <laughs> I really like that, you know, pretty much every issue you could guarantee you get that line about Danny's fist being like unto a thin <laughs> iron. Like, like unto, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that's how we speak. It's just, it's look, I'll, I'll take it every time. I mean, I really, really miss fun comics like this. Yeah, there are a few, but not a lot. Well, I guess that brings us to it. And you know what's coming, Martin. I I ran this through an online currency exchange app. So at least of mid-July 2021, was this issue worth 18 pence? Easily. I would pay 20 pence. 
Absolutely. And uh, you know, I'm going to stick with my American currency of 25 cents. But yes, definitely agree. One-off adventure all wrapped up with one of my favorite guest stars. It is for both of us. <laughs> it was hot. It was sweaty. It was rough and tumble. It was street, right? This is a street-level comic. It was. I mean, you know, they, they, did, they did a great, good, great job of conveying that hot summer atmosphere from that wobbly letter on page one. <laughs> and it was a very, a very good comic. I recommend if people can find it on Marvel Unlimited or for a cheap price or in a reprint, give it a good read. And it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things we said, you know, we'd like to see a little more Moon Knight, maybe is a little bit more hero- heroic or whatever. I mean, it's not great. It's not perfect. It's not a classic, but it's definitely good enough. You know, this is He's, a solid, yeah. solid quarter bin deal. You'd be glad to pull this book out of a cheap bin anywhere. Definitely. Highly recommended. So before we wrap this up, tell us about your excellent comics review blog and where else we can find you online. Well, I've got, got a little blog that I review two or three or four comics every week called Too Dangerous for a Girl on WordPress, but you just search for Too Dangerous for a Girl 2, it'll come up. And uh, Usually mainly DC comics because... I'm slightly more of a DC comic person than a Marvel person. These DC comics get more, more comments and I like the interaction with people. <laughs> but I'm also on Twitter at, at Mart Gray and popping up around the web, comment, commenting on people's podcasts quite a lot. Yes, you do, which we appreciate. I can't shut up. I'm sorry. <laughs> I've got an and, opinion on everything and they're all wrong. And, uh, and, and I, I do recommend at Mark Gray as a very good Twitter follow as well. Thank you very much. Always wonderful to chat with you. And thanks again for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure as ever. Well, that wraps up our coverage of Power Man and Iron Fist 87, bringing episode 172 to a close. And next time of one of two possibilities we'll either be talking about free comic book day or maybe batman gordon's law number one however it works out those will probably be the next two episodes of the quarter bin podcast in some order so if you have any questions or comments about this issue or the episode about danny or luke or moon knight feel free to contact me. Until next episode, I'm Professor Allen, and I'll see you in the quarter bin. The Quarter Bin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Show notes and links are available at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or the podcasts Uncovering the Bronze Age and Shortbox Showcase also make their home. Links to Facebook and Twitter are there as well. Feedback for the show is welcome at relativelygeeky at gmail.com. And if you like what we've got going here, please leave a review and a rating in iTunes. It'll help more people discover the show. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for listening.